Hey, welcome to the Seattle Psychiatrist Interview Series. This educational series is brought to you by Seattle Anxiety Specialists. Located in downtown Seattle, our psychiatrists and therapists specialize in treating anxiety, anxiety disorders, and other mental health issues that commonly lead to anxiety. For a full list of our services, as well as access to our multitude of online resources, check us out online at seattleanxiety.com. Thank you for joining us today for this installment of the Seattle Psychiatrist Interview Series. I'm Teresa Nair, a research intern at Seattle Anxiety Specialists. I'd like to welcome with us environmental researcher, Dr. Ari Saikawa. Dr. Saikawa is an associate professor and director of graduate studies at Emory University. She conducts interdisciplinary research on the environment, including atmospheric chemistry, environmental health, biogeochemistry, climate science, and environmental science. Her recent research contributed to understanding and mitigating chemical contaminant exposure among children in the west side of Atlanta, including heavy metal and metalloid exposure through the soil. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Saikawa. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. To get us started, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself and what made you interested in studying environmental pollutants. Yeah, so I really don't know what made me interested in environmental pollutants, but I was kind of a geek growing up, and I was always very fascinated by pollution. And so since since I was a kid in elementary school, I always wanted to work on mainly some kind of pollution, and that has kept going. Uh, so that's here I am, I guess. But I was always um, very fascinated by air pollution, mainly. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to find a solution to mitigate air pollution. It's wonderful. I mean, I think it's a really fascinating topic. And I'm sure many of the people watching this interview will agree. Um, we all have a little bit of that geek size. So <laughs> I think we can all That's appreciate right. that. Uh, your research recently led to the Environmental Protection Agency's designation of a new Superfund site in Western Atlanta. For our audience who is not familiar with this designation, could you tell us what it means to be a Superfund site and why it was important for this neighborhood to receive that designation? Yeah, so I'm not a lawyer um, either, but as I understand it, there are um, it is designated as a Superfund site when there is um, quite substantial contamination that needs cleanup by the federal government. And so what, what happened in the West Side is that there was a brownfield investigation at first for a smaller lot. So it was about 30 lots um, that was considered contaminated. But then when the EPA started investigating, they found a lot of lead, uh, high lead levels in those 30 lots. And so they expanded um, and then it it just continuously expanded. Uh, So at one point they said, okay, it's not possible to clean up at at the scale um, that was happening. And so then they needed the federal funding to come. And that's when it was, be- uh, it became Superfund site. And now it's the, it's including about a little over 2000 lots. And wow. um, because of the, the funding that's necessary, uh, I think that was important. Um, was it, 
how is it considered in the community? I think it's a very different story. Um, I believe that some of the community members are probably not excited that it is a super fun site. It is very well known that when it is when it becomes a super fun site, then the the value of the homes, for example, go down. And oh, wow. um, the studies also indicate that after um, the you know super funds um, is cleaned up, then the values come back up. But it is a difficult time for the community members. They are already overburdened. Um, and so we hope that it was a good step so that it's going to be cleaned up. But I'm sure the people that are actually being impacted by it, there are mixed feelings. Right. It's positive and negative because the site's being cleaned up, but then it decreases home values in the meantime. And that's interesting. You mentioned that there were um, there was some cleanup effort even before the designation of a Superfund site. So if it's a smaller site, they're still able to begin cleaning. Yeah. So the EPA has some funds to clean up um, the remedial action. And so if it's a small area, then they can come at the regional level and then clean up. But because the number of lots that were high in lead um, was so much higher that they weren't able to um, cover those uh, that number of lots with the amount of funding that they have. And so okay. in order to clean up um, you know, over a thousand lots, then they do need the federal funding. And that, I guess, that is necessary to be designated as a super fund site. Okay, thank you for that clarification. There was an article in the Georgia Recorder from 2021, which explains that you began testing the soil in Western Atlanta for slag in 2018. Can you tell us a little bit about what slag is and what the history is that caused the slag to appear in this neighborhood? Yeah, so what happened was we we wanted to understand uh, the so- potential soil contamination because there was a lot of urban gardening going on. And then mm-hmm. what we found was that in some of the residential lots, we were finding pretty high lead levels that were over sometimes 2000 ppm, when 400 ppm is the standard by the EPA. And that was the one of the residents living in the west side that brought the, the slag pieces, which is um, industrial waste from smelting. So they, they are like rocks. And it's kind of like volcanic rocks. They have a lot of pores. And so they are the remaining from smelting. And the the slag that we are seeing is most likely the smelting from, um, like, (laughs) the waste from lead smelting. There appeared to be about 11 lead smelters in Atlanta in the past. And so we believe that that's the remaining of that. And because um, of that waste, we are finding a lot of lead in those pieces. So um, when they are, they, I, I think what, what happened was they were buried as um, foundations for the land to, to build the homes. But then over time, the soils eroded and then uh, what used to be the foundation is now showing up as a surface soil. Right, I see. Yeah. So, was, so was that material originally in the foundation of the homes then? Yeah, so what, what oh, wow. is, that's what it seems like. And so what happens mm-hmm. now is that the EPA goes to dig the soil to clean up. In some cases, they dug about eight feet down and they still found slag. 
Wow. And so that is going very deep. And so now what they found is that they cannot dig everything to take out. And so they are only digging about one to two feet. And if they still see the slag, then they put the plastics to make sure that the developers that would come later on know that it is contaminated with slag underneath. Okay, so the plastic doesn't necessarily prevent it. It's just kind of a, a warning for developers. Right. Yeah, okay, that's that correct. Yeah, there's contamination past this point. Yeah, exactly. They don't have the funds to dig that much to clean everything up. Wow. Yeah, because what's happening is that the residents stay, you know, living in the house when the cleaning goes on. And so they're trying to clean up as, as much as possible, as quickly as possible. And so the um, the priority is to take take the surface soil out and then replace with clean soil. So is the idea then that that amount will protect the resident that's living there, that that's enough of a buffer to isolate them from exposure? Yeah, that's the idea, I believe. Okay. And is the history that you just explained, is that similar to other Superfund sites throughout the country? Is that generally how these sites um, have begun? It was near a factory or some type of production that contaminated the land? Yeah, so I think there are very different types of Superfund sites. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's contaminated because of the current operation. And then so, okay. you know, the EPA knows who is causing the pollution. And so in that case, they can go um, and the polluter is going to be responsible for cleaning up. But I think there are also a lot of cases like uh, what we are seeing in the West Side where the past contamination is causing problems. So then it's hard for the EPA to figure out who the actual polluter might have been. And so then the federal um money needs to come in because they cannot get the polluter to pay. Okay. So if they knew who it was, then they might be liable. But yes. if they don't know, the EPA takes over. Yeah, exactly. So I believe that the EPA is still going after who might mm -hmm. have dumped these so that they okay. can, um, you know, um, make them liable. Right. That, that takes a lot of time, I think. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Improving liability, you know, yeah, could be exactly. a whole issue. Yeah. Um, there was an article published by Eleven Alive on March 19th of this year that quotes the EPA administrator as saying that the new Superfund site is located in an overburdened and underserved community. Could you explain to our audience how this issue is tied to environmental justice and any relationship that exists between the site designation and neighborhoods that have historically experienced discrimination? Yeah, so I think for this historic West Side, it is a predominantly Black neighborhood. And also mm -hmm. the income level is one of the lowest in the Metro Alana area. And so um, it is overburdened in a sense that they already have a lot of issues that they are going through. And it is also an energy burdened area, meaning that um, it becomes energy burden when you pay more than 6% of your income towards electricity. Oh, wow. And so, yes. yeah, Atlanta is pretty well known for energy burden, but this wow. area is especially energy burdened. And so then, you know, if you have low income and if you're already paying so much for electricity, you cannot pay for other things. And so that is a very big problem. And um, yeah, chronic issues and the the water 
contamination, for example, has been seen in their creeks as well in the past. So it's not just the soil contamination that they're dealing with, but it used to be also a food desert, meaning that you, they didn't have a lot of fresh produce around <laughs> where they live. And because they didn't have vehicles either, then they couldn't get the produce they needed. And so it's uh, unfortunate because having you know this urban agriculture movement is really great on one hand, but then if there is a lot of con contamination in the soil, then that doesn't solve the problem at all and creates another problem. So when you're wow. already overburdened, then it's a really complex issue that you're going through. I was actually going to ask you about that because I know you mentioned earlier that you did get into this because you were studying urban gardening and urban gardening does have a lot of benefits for um, increasing food independency and increasing access to healthy food. But then you have this question of soil contamination. Um, and I know that you have done some research with focus groups studying safe gardening practices and urban environments. Could you tell us a little bit about anyone um, for anyone who might be using urban gardens, how people can protect themselves or how people can know whether it's safe or um, whether they can eat the vegetables that are being grown in these environments? Yeah, so I think, you know, the best practice is really to be um, cautious before you actually start it. So if you are worried about it, I would highly recommend that you would test the soil so that's why we are also providing this community science soil shop opportunities for people to test the soil for free for lead. Um, lead is not the only toxicant, but that can be a way to screen. And I think that's one of the most important chemicals that you want to avoid. Um, but also if you are not able to really test the soil, you might just create the raised bed and make sure that you are not having any um, potential contamination in the in the place where you are gardening, because it's the most unfortunate, I guess, consequence of, you know, this great cause that you're doing. And I, I believe that urban agriculture also does a lot for mental health as well. Like it, it really improves your mental health, I read somewhere. And so there are really good benefits. Um, and so, yeah, taking precautionary measures, I think is pretty important. Okay, this is some good suggestions. So if they do think their soil is contaminated using raised beds, putting in potting soil would help offer some protection then. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, you mentioned the mental health impacts of, of urban gardening, how there's some benefits. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the mental health impacts of lead exposure. We hear a lot about the physical health impacts. Um, could you talk about Anything related to mental health, how it affects mood, memory, or brain development in children? Yeah, so I think lead exposure is really linked to the brain development of children. And so when you are exposed as a small kid, then that can um, have developmental issues. And I think what's really important is that once you're exposed, it's very difficult to go back to pre-exposure. And so, uh, yeah, I forgot to mention, you know, but... I think washing your hands if you are potentially exposed can really do a lot. And sometimes we think that if you're growing food in your own garden, then, you know, you might not wash your vegetables or something. <laughs> but that's really <laughs> essential that you wash. Uh, you make sure that you're not having any contamination. And if you have like pets, uh, making sure that they don't bring in um, the contamination at home, that is um, pretty crucial too. 
And so, yeah, going back to the brain development, I think the IQ uh, can be impacted quite a bit. And so um, what I usually want to think about is the people that are going to be impacted by lead are also already overburdened. So the distribution is not equal. And so we really need to make sure that uh, the kids in the vulnerable neighborhoods are really um, given the safe environment. And we should do more to make that um, happen for those children. Thank you. That's a good point. Um, One of the things I found really impressive when I was reading about your work was that you're not only a scientist researching this topic from your office, but you also joined the Westside Health Collaborative and we're doing some hands-on work in the community, passing out leaflets to residents and urging them to get their children's lead levels tested. Since you were going out within the community and raising awareness, I'm wondering if you could tell us how this information was being received by community members. Um, were people experiencing increased anxiety or fear or depression, or were people feeling more optimistic that this was going to be a short-term problem that would be easily resolved? Yeah, I don't think anybody was optimistic that I've seen. Um, there were so yes. many devastating, um, I guess, cases that I saw, and that sometimes made me wonder if that was a good good thing that we found contamination. For example, the you know, the the partner that I work with in the community, she had um, a garden in her lot that was especially for children. So she called it children's garden. And then there were her grandkids that were gardening in that soil. And that was the spot where we found high lead levels. And it was really um, with uh, a lot of slag. And that was really devastating because, you know, that is somebody that I know well, and she had this for to do good things for her grandchildren, right? And then she was really worried, obviously, and she took them for the blood test. And she actually, I remember so well, she told me that the test came back. And for one of her grandchildren, the level was high. And oh, wow. it was very, very um, devastating for, for me and for her. And yeah. so, yeah, thinking about that actual, you know, impact that it has mm-hmm. when we talk to the residents, um, I, I think it, it is really, um, it is really difficult. And right. how can we actually go over that? Um, it's not something easy because if you're already exposed you know, you can always do a lot to mitigate, but that impact is going to stay. And so the resident is asking me, you know, uh, is this child having developmental issues because of lead exposure? And I cannot answer that. I think there is a potential that that might be the case, but I'm not a doctor and, you know, it's very difficult to say. And so right. seeing those people, um, you know, I think struggling what can we really do? It's to, I guess, make that impact as less as possible, um, knowing that they are already very much impacted and they have to suffer from that. Right. I, I'm sure that's really difficult, especially for that grandmother who was trying to make healthy food for right. like, grow healthy food for her grandchildren. And I guess the best thing you can do at that point is try to clean it up for for everyone from here yeah. on, right, right, to move forward. But I'm, yeah. I'm sure that's difficult. 
um, I'm glad you were able to work with them to help them clean it up and help to find solutions. Um, I wanted to, uh, to broaden out our conversation a little bit. So far, we've been talking about the Superfund sites in Western Atlanta and the impact in that community. However, I do wanna point out um, that below this interview, we're gonna be placing a link that shows where people can find Superfund sites near them and find out if they are near any of these neighborhoods. It is that EPA's website, and that will allow everyone in our audience to check their own proximity to Superfund sites. Since many of our audience members are in the Washington state area, I think it's important to note there are currently 69 Superfund sites listed within the state. However, when you dive into descriptions for these sites, many are listed as deleted, final, or non-NPL. Could you explain a little bit about what these designations mean um, and how concerned for environmental exposure people should be if they find that they're living near one of these sites? Yeah, that's a very good question. So the West Side just got listed on the national priorities list, so NPL. <laughs> and so NPLs are considered to be the national priorities, you know, for cleaning up. And so if you are living in, you know, or proximity to the NPL site, then that is one of the most contaminated sites in the U.S. And so your exposure, um, I think that's something that you would really want to think about. And even if that is, um, I guess you mentioned deleted. So deleted, I think, happens after the cleanup is over. And so hopefully that is um, already when it's clean. Sometimes, um, you know, not everything is going to be completely clean, but I, I believe that the cleanup process usually works so that it is much cleaner than how it used to be. And so um, over time, hopefully the, the value is going to increase and then you are going to have a better environment. Sometimes that uh, even though it's a super fun site, it cannot be, designated as an NPL. And that's often a political reason, uh, it seems like. So um, I believe that if you are in one of the, even the brownfield areas, the, um, the Superfund site areas, you do want to be mindful of what kind of toxicants you might be exposed to. And if there is an opportunity to test um, for either, you know, blood test or whatever test that's available, I think, you should take advantage of that. That's good advice. Um, if a person is experiencing anxiety due to learning that they're living near a Superfund site, or if they suspect they may be living in an area that's undesignated, but may have some environmental pollutants present, what practical steps could they take to protect their health and the health of their family members? Yeah, so I think this is so important. Um, if you do suspect that you might be having some exposure, the data is very important. And so, you know, community science, citizen science, um, I think that's taking a lot of power. So if you are able to find somebody that can work with you um, to figure out what kind of contaminants might be there, or if you already know what might exist, I think getting the data and then bringing that to the EPA that is so um, important. And then once they have the data, it is their responsibility to really look into it. And so I would really urge anybody, um, if you are finding any issues, um, see who you can partner with and then try to um, get the data that you need and bring it to the 
um, e either the EPA or the health organization, like for Georgia, the Department of Public Health, um, Georgia Department of Public Health is very interested. So I'm sure there are um, agencies like that in Washington state that, that would work with the community. Okay, that's a good recommendation. So to start with maybe something like soil analysis, would you recommend contacting the local university first that, you know, somewhere like that to start? Yeah, so, yeah, sorry. So ATSDR, Agency for Toxic Substances and Registry, um, Disease Regi Registry, sorry. So they usually host uh, what's called soil shop. And so they might be willing to help figure out if there might be contamination, if that's soil. And then I guess, you know, just, just contacting the person that, um, yeah, that you are aware of any scientists, it doesn't have to be somebody that you know. Um, I'm happy to um, hear the concerns and then try to find uh, the scientists near, you know, the people in your area in Washington State, for example. So I think just reaching out to anybody that um, you find on the internet might be one step. Um, and then I think talking to your doctors, I think is also important. If you're feeling some anxiety, um, talking through with your doctor, and then they might be able to refer to somebody else that can potentially help. Um, so I think seeking help um, earlier is a pretty important step, I think. Yeah, it's, it's very good advice. Um, was there anything else before you go? Did you have any parting words of advice or anything that we didn't ask about that you might want to share with our listeners on this topic? Yeah, so I think I would really want to say that if you do see some problems, um, you know, talking about it with the, your community members and then um, potentially testing, I think that is very important. And trying to make everybody safe, um, especially your children. So I really would like to encourage that, um, you know, we don't talk enough about these potential contaminants that, that really affect us. So um, raising awareness amongst ourselves first and trying to distribute that knowledge to others, I think that's very important. I think this has been a very interesting discussion and I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with us and sharing such valuable information and information about resources and where people can go if they have these types of concerns. And I just want to thank you for participating in our interview series today. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much for having me.